On today's episode of Future Says, we have Neeraj Parihar, Executive Vice President and Leader of Capgemini's Data and Insights Division in India. He's in charge of creating value for Capgemini's customer base in the rapidly evolving domain of data, digital and the cloud, while he's also a vocal advocate for diversity and inclusion in the workplace. Hello and welcome to Future Says, Neeraj. Great to have you on the show to talk all about leadership in the age of AI. Thank you, Sean. Uh, great to be here. So in the course of this series, Niraj, we have data leaders from all around the world talking about the many trials and tribulations with adopting a data-first approach. But one thing that comes up time and time again is the importance of culture and leadership. Of course, this is something that Gartner, McKinsey, MIT, Datanami, and many other consultancies and institutions are saying is potentially the single biggest barrier to gaining value from analytics and AI today. Culture is something that oftentimes has to be driven right from the top, right from leadership. And in a period of time which is rife with disruption and change, we need to start to redefine what effective leadership is. Niraj, in recent years, you've headed up the Data and Insights Division at Capgemini in India, and you've introduced a myriad of different initiatives to really drive this culture, this motivation, concepts around diversity and inclusion, corporate social responsibility, workplace flexibility, autonomy, data democratization, and more, all of which have been potentially more important than ever before in the last 18 to 24 months, as workers have shifted to working from home, mental and physical health has taken a foremost priority. So it's a really good time and an excellent person to have this discussion with, Niraj. So can you help maybe frame the discussion for our audience by just introducing the sorts of projects the Data and Insights Division at Capgemini are involved in? Absolutely, Sean, and uh, totally agree with you. We live in very interesting times, but definitely one uh, very positive aspects of uh, today's uh, evolution is we are we happen to be in the middle of a large number of transformational data and analytics uh, programs. You know, pretty much every industry that we're touching is looking to transform their business and customer outlook through the power of data. So just to give you a few examples, they are, um, you know, in the middle of implementing one of the largest data lake in the consumer processing goods space. This will be one of the largest uh, data lake covering global performance metrics and monitoring of uh, you know, this particular customer's uh, supply chain operations, their HR, finance. And then in addition, it also gives a self-service type of capability to your point around data democratization, as well as creates a very powerful foundation for us to almost create an analytics bar or a kiosk online where the business users can walk in and on an ad hoc basis uh, could ask for, uh, you know, some very interesting insights or useful business insights. Another example, airline industry, we're looking at the devices, sensors, and black box, uh, you know, type of uh, data sources inside an aircraft to to see how do we share that data and collect uh, data from different airlines in sort of a data ecosystem type of model and enrich the products and services for the passengers. Last example, and there are many for a Life Sciences customer, we are creating this massive data platform for the future that will enable us uh, to have uh, more than 36 use cases around their 
research and development, their drug distribution, their clinical trials, uh, so on and so forth. It's interesting, you know, on one end of the spectrum, uh, you know, protecting the data, you know, is so paramount. But on the other end, you benefit so much more by sharing it across. And, you know, that collective wisdom is tremendous uh, insights. Yeah. And I want to pick up on that, that point then, yours about data sharing. The last 18 to 20 months have been, I've just seen everything turned on its head, put upside down. How have you survived? How have you managed to have the success that you're talking about here with such a difficult climate? Yeah, it's been, uh, I'd say, a, a very humbling period, to say the least, Sean, last uh, two years now almost. And uh, what has worked for us is, uh, number one, uh, our agility to face and embrace the change. You know, everybody talks about the agile ex execution and the, you know, stand-up meetings and all of that. I think my largest, you know, agile experience is what we went through in a very short period of time within Capgemini. You know, there was a daily stand-up call starting from our CEO to India CEO, where I was part of, then I would do one with my team and then, you know, next three levels would do the same. So suddenly you see there's almost 50,000, you know, members of the organization, you know, scrumming in a way to embrace and handle this change. And this is where we learned. This is where we learned most of our session, uh, most of our lessons, what were the priorities and how we needed to, what were the issues and challenges. And actually this is where having the diversity helped quite a bit in the organization because it did complete our thinking and, uh, you know, policy making and the adjustments. But ultimately what worked is we remain agile and we absolutely um, focus on the well-being of our employees as the first priority followed by our business commitments. And uh, this is where we did not compromise at all. There was very interesting change. We went overnight from working in offices. Pre-pandemic, we were only about 10 to 15% of the workforce you know, working from homes and, uh, you know, within three weeks, we were almost 98% of the organization working from home. And this was a massive, massive change, you know, going from the typical desktop type of uh, scenario and to providing laptops to everyone, making sure the, you know, connections at homes are strong. At the same time, uh, since now everybody at home, how do we make sure that it's not just our employees' well-being, but also entire families' well-being? How do we take responsibility for that. Situations like these, people go back to their implicit biases. And so we also saw a lot of uh, pattern where some of the diverse group got disproportionately impacted than everyone else. So we had to take notice of that and create special provisions for that. But, you know, after first uh, three or four months, we're very clear, you know, where this is going to go. And we created a lot of flexibility flexible policies and approaches, you know, essentially we said that the location of the work probably does not matter, but it is important for our employees to be physically together at least once in a while. So in the new normal, we said we are going to remain very flexible on where you work from and uh, the mode of working, the times of working, even extend it to our women colleagues, for example, on part-time working or, you know, very you know, flexi hours and those types of uh, provisions. But we, you know, reduced our tolerance to zero for some of the uh, ethical malpractices or 
even you know data protection those types of uh, leakages because the risk became a bit more higher so the new normal uh, for us is not just about where people employees work from but how is the new new uh, work infrastructure going to look like how is the the new learning infrastructure going to look like how do people innovate how do we engage with our you know people with our customers what are the new risks and how do we sort of uh, mitigate it so a lot of uh, you know a lot of learning a lot of expedited you know change but i think in the end it's a good change and we feel like we now comfortable with, with where we are and where new normal takes us from here i want to pick up on some advice you might have i guess to other prospective leaders out there near us you mentioned the daily stand up calls for the workplace flexibility what else do you suggest other leaders that might be listening should take or what are the most important steps i guess so especially in the context of pandemic like this on uh, we need to understand that this is not a financial crisis you know this is a health crisis at the end of the day and therefore uh, the people and their well-being and uh, you know their surroundings have to take absolutely top priority because this is also temporary in nature and the investment that we make in their well-being today are going to reap tremendous uh, rewards uh, later on for us the other thing i would say is uh, we will come across many things you know many old ways of working which will now suddenly get exposed and so you have to be nimble you have to be agile and and accepting that there are some you know things that are not valid or don't work you know anymore so i think that that agility is quite important third thing i would say is the change was already there we were you know becoming more and more uh, you know digital there are new generations uh, you know coming into the workplace there are new trends the pandemic just uh, became one more i would say you know catalyst one catalyst to to make sure that we address all of these changes uh, together and in a better way so i think the bigger context of uh, you know what it could mean to us for future is is extremely important and then every crisis has the opportunity you know we saw this as an excellent opportunity to consolidate our position in the employee marketplace uh, and as i said there were actually a number of reports out there that said that one thing that this pandemic is going to do is to put all of the diversity and inclusive inclusion type of initiatives uh, on hold or slow it down we in fact uh, expedited it and uh, in the peak of pandemic we actually you know hired more diverse uh, workforce you know than our regular workforce right so and we feel good about that today yeah and that's now a topic i want to open the book on so diversity and inclusion near out it's it's something you're very passionate about how do you ensure at capgemini that your global workforce of 300 or so thousand people is diverse is inclusive and these types of things it's a must have for us you know we've been very top down you know with this intent and an initiative so to me diversity at the end of uh, it is diversity of thoughts and uh, it comes in uh, different you know segments if you will you know what we focus in india and elsewhere traditionally we have focused you know quite a bit on the gender diversity aspect of it followed by lgbtq you know the generational diversity is becoming quite interesting that's been always uh, implicit in everything we do and then uh, there is this large space of uh, persons with disabilities which uh, i personally think is another big uh, opportunity area that the industry needs to do justice with for us you know we look at you know of course diversity 
is about numbers, you know, having more and more percentage of your uh, population uh, from diverse backgrounds. So we've done tons of work in attracting and retaining, let's say, you know, women talent in the organization. We've done programs like uh, Captivate, where uh, after a few years, if a young mother had to leave her career for a few years or for other personal uh, demands, we are attracting them back, you know, making them current by investing in in their professional uh, skills uh, and then bringing them into mainstream uh, businesses. So number of programs, you know, we also run a sponsorship program where uh, each one of the India country board leader is sponsoring at least one potential pipeline women to VP and making sure that, you know, the the potential is tapped to get them there in over a period of time. So even as we speak, there are close to 50 such uh, sponsorship candidates that are in the process with us to to get there. We also intersecting our uh, our DNI efforts with the CSR. In fact, one other opportunity we leveraged during pandemic is as remote working uh, you know became feasible and common. We actually went to the remote areas in India, you know, the rural areas, and actually hired uh, 500 underprivileged women, trained them into our infrastructure services type of uh, work, and they are now employees of Capgemini. So I feel very, very proud about that. But I feel the big thing that makes the difference is actually the I part of BNI, the inclusion. It's great to have a good percentage of uh, workforce diverse, but if you're not going to include them in your decision-making, policy-making, you know, if not getting them to the, you know, decision-making places, then it's of very limited use. So we've actually taken on, um, you know, that as a primary objective. And one thing that uh, is quite close to me is uh, our initiative about uh, women in technology. We are not only busting the myths that the technology, deep technology roles, you know, women don't opt for, you know, that's absolutely proven wrong. We have been doing many women-only hackathons, uh, for example. And then what I'm really proud of is uh, today about 35% of our architects are women. And then LGBTQ, you know, out front has been another, you know, learning experience for me. We started formally, you know, focusing on this space by launching Outfront, which is our initiative to enable inclusion for LGBTQ plus community. Since then, I think there's been a tremendous progress. It hasn't been an easy journey, but the progress is good. We've, you know, done a number of uh, podcasts from uh, even leaders from LGBTQ community to come and sensitize, uh, you know, our workforce around the issues and topics associated with this. Also Pride March, you know, celebrating, you know, important events. In 2019, we also did a adaption move where we adjusted a lot of our policies to ensure that, uh, you know, that community is adequately represented. So things like extending insurance to same-sex relationship or even subtle changes like, you know, having gender-neutral uh, restrooms in your campuses and offices, you know, things like that, it makes a, makes a big, big difference. And then this year, what's very special with us is we've gone to the allyship with the LGBTQ+. So we actually created an uh, outfront ally network where we have uh, appointed allies at uh, you know every grade across the organization, across the locations, and and uh, they've you know 
in addition to the community members themselves now the allies are also becoming the change agents to you know bring that awareness and sensitization in the organization in many cases they also become the first responder in case of grievances and things like that right so pretty good uh, progress there especially in uh, cultures like india you know there is a quite a bit of social stigma attached uh, with this space so it is still a tough journey but we are quite determined to make sure that you know uh, we have equal and inclusive you know play for uh, you know all aspects of this community as well yeah it's an awesome answer and clearly capgemini is a very diverse inclusive place to work clearly that's going to rapidly accelerate employee satisfaction i think we sort of started the question talking about hiring and how to hire a diverse inclusive workforce but creating it and retaining it is two different things and are both equal of importance what i wanted to ask you is as the head of the data insights division niraj is are there any internal projects where you're using data to actually track employee churn and employee satisfaction and concepts like this yes absolutely and this is a great question because you know as you know what they say a doctor never treats himself or herself right so you know you do all this great work for your customers and ecosystem and then you know you look back and see you know you could have used uh, data driven transformation yourself so there are three or four places where you know we have massive attention to make our own enterprise uh, data driven one is a no brainer in the employee space so we call it intelligent hr people analytics is a part of it and then a lot of the uh, finance analytics and of course our customer analytics and so on and so forth but let me speak about the people analytics piece there is a natural instinct to start with the retention you know analytics type of use case when you do that and somewhere down the line you realize that you picking up you know as your first case probably the most complex use case yeah so we done that been that you know we had some success you know but that space you know changes in parameters that fast that you know the algorithms of yesterday don't work today you know so you have to constantly upgrade it so we what we've done is um, we then said that okay let's you know focus on the driving factors as opposed to the the symptoms or the outcomes of why people leave or why they stay and this is where um, you know we have gone on to uh, more of creating a happiness type of uh, index or employee satisfaction uh, you know type of index by focusing on a number actually 57 to be precise 57 touch points of uh, when you receive a first uh, recruiter contact from capgemini to the point uh, you leave us and then also to the point you uh, join us back in future so if you really look at it you know there are a number of touch points there you know everybody remembers their first recruiter call the first day of onboarding you know first uh, meeting with uh, with the manager you know first appraisal discussion you know first project assignment you know first promotion first international assignment you know, first training first reward you know first recognition first increment all the way to um, you know when you are uh, perhaps not very happy with the organization and so retention conversations and the exits and you know coming back so our effort is if through the power of data we can track signs and and also decide the figure out the happiness factor at each of these touch points then collectively it gets you to your goal ambitious program uh, we are keen on executing it there are some pieces already in place but there is a long journey to go so that's you know that's something that i guess we'll have to do it for ourselves and you know that endorsement at the end of the day from uh, the chief uh, hr officer of capgemini 
probably means a lot more than our customers endorsing it uh, for us. Drinking your own champagne, Niraj, I, I quite yeah. like that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And one thing you've sort of spoken about is, is people analytics and HR analytics and getting people more involved in the data conversation internally at Capgemini, externally in your clients and partners. Can you break out that whole topic of data democratization a little bit and how you demystify AI to people that aren't so savvy in this field? Yeah, it's an interesting question because it depends on which side of the table you, you sit on. So one is, to me, data literacy and data democratization go hand in hand. You know, you need to significantly increase the the data literacy dimension for you to be, you know, massively successful at data democratization. Yeah. But if you just zoom into the data literacy space, it's a two-way street with us. There's a two flavor of uh, this challenge. One is in my unit, I have uh, a large number of, you know, technical data engineers who are very good about technology and implementing it uh, for businesses, but maybe not so great about getting the business context all the time. On the other end, in our customers' uh, ecosystem and environment, you have, uh, you know, this great, you know, segment of business savvy folks who understand business in and out, but, uh, you know, can't cope up with the technical nuances of uh, data. So the data literacy for us is to sort of, you know, fill that gap on both sides. So some of the things that we have done is um, we actually rolled out uh, this AI Academy uh, initiative, entirely homegrown made it a little bit of fun uh, by introducing four, uh, you know, levels of certification that you could do, which starts from, uh, you know, cadet, then you become a genie guru and then captain at the end of the, at the end of the course. So captain is the, is the place where you actually become the advisory solution architect, you know, for your uh, customers uh, or internal data transformation. We also have a, you know, business version of the AI Academy that we've been offering it to our customers to increase the data literacy uh, quotient in their data programs. So that's one, you know, extremely popular, you know, it's one of the biggest adoption that we've seen. I think in, when we launched it in 2019, uh, we saw that one year, uh, more than 10,000 people are already certified and that number collectively is over 60,000 today. We're also focusing quite a bit on the data storytelling skills on our side. Uh, so we created, um, you know, this niche segment of people who actually, you know, the bridging force between our technical workforce and the business. I love that concept of collaboration in the enterprise as well, of learning and training and empowerment in the enterprise. We've spoken about a lot of the different aspects of organizational culture. One area I did want to, to pick back up on before we start to wrap things up, Niraj, is the concept of CSOR. People speak about AI for good projects, um, AI for social good. There's probably not enough of it. You spoke earlier about prioritizing the workforce over business benefits sometimes. I'd like to hear as well about how you prioritize CSOR. I believe you've co-founded or you lead a CSOR initiative at Capgemini, Niarish. Is that right? Yeah. So I'm uh, president of um, Capgemini NGO called WeCare. Uh, this is one of, you know, one part of the CSR that we do in India. And uh, interesting evolution, uh, you know, this, the VCare was formed by a bunch of uh, enthusiastic business analysts uh, back in, uh, I think, early 2000 in, in Pune. And uh, what they started doing is, you know, going to these remote places and encourage uh, young girls from uh, underprivileged communities to study and sort of 
create uh, some sort of career intentionality. It is from there, uh, you know, this particular initiative picked up today about 45,000 volunteers within Capgemini associated with the NGO. We also work with uh, more than 100 other NGOs to partner with them on a volunteering uh, basis to do a number of uh, good things in the society. Of late, we focused uh, more on the digital inclusion piece of it, which uh, comes in um, two main objectives. Of uh, One is how do we create more and more digital citizenship? Because that digital enablement is, is important because the pace with which uh, things are evolving, even for people to participate in the socio-economic and political landscape, you know, you can't do it without the basic, you know, digital education. So we've been doing that in different segments. The very popular core program called Enlight, where we're going to very diversified you know, backgrounds and, uh, you know, whether they're sex workers or the you know, sanitization workers, you know, taking their kids and training them on basic digital skills to also going to a number of areas to, uh, to you know, one of the coolest things that we've done is uh, we have uh, been uh, creating these uh, STEM kits, the number of sensors and, and Raspberry Pi and, and the things like that, and, you know, very economical kits so that we can, you know, enable that spirit of innovation and learning in the mid-school level kits, you know, especially in the poor segments of uh, our society. And that's been working very well, you know, for last, especially pre-pandemic days, you know, majority of our internal events, you know, these kids came and showed us the innovation. It's quite impressive, right? Then a bit more sophisticated, uh, we are uh, doing quite a bit of, you know, actually creating serious digital skills to enable, you know, uh, students for uh, jobs in places like Capgemini through our digital academy program where we partnered with a couple of uh, NGOs. So what we do is we've created, I think about 36 different digital academies in 12 cities in India. And um, you know, basically we'll, uh, these are, you know, educated, uh, you know, students, you know, done their bachelor's in commerce or arts or, you know, some science, but for some reason could not get to the good job. So we, we get them in, you know, train them more on our types of skills, you know, design those curriculums and then basically either absorb them in Capgemini or, or enable them for absorption in other organizations uh, like us. So one of the programs that we started was is AWS as part of the Restart initiative where we actually been, as we, even as we speak, training about 1,200 uh, people on uh, the cloud skills to be absorbed by us or others uh, in future. And then at a global level, you talked about AI for good. So one initiative I'll talk about is, you know, which is uh, sponsored by Insights and Data, my division, is the Global Data Science Challenge. And we've been actually picking up uh, problem use cases uh, from the environment and sustainability area. In fact, last year we did this very popular hackathon around uh, tracking of uh, sperm whales by attaching sensors to tails and then you know, when you do that, at one point, the data becomes so significant that it becomes very difficult to analyze. So we did a hackathon and, you know, a number of teams came with uh, very, very innovative solutions to, you know, derive insights out of it. And this year, actually, last month, we completed another hackathon on Love the Ocean, where, uh, you know, this um, ocean observatory has uh, a number of devices, actually the sensors at the 
at the bottom bottom of the ocean and they're tracking the climate related changes and you know how the terrains are changing and the the ocean life is changing and again you know at some point the data becomes exponential and i'm taking copious amounts of notes here near there there's some great initiatives and ideas and i always do think that uh sometimes there's a disproportionate amount of conversation around the algorithms and the technology and not enough discussions like this around culture and leadership and initiatives and different ways to keep the workforce engaged and happy and satisfied so this is a great discussion to sort of try to start to conclude things niraj the title of the show is future says we always talk about what comes next so with all of these amazing things going on what are the tangible goals you have in your head for the dni business and what does the workforce of the future look like in 5 years let's say yeah i mean goals is uh, again you know we go maybe 2 years at a time so right now we are you know focusing on how do we advance our journey further in data ecosystem you know that's coming in we've already started investing in uh, a new trends in uh, you know say um, you know immersive experience through ar vr uh, you know there's a lot of metaverse talk out there you know of late also quantum computing we've been investing personally i think uh, this is uh, one of the ones uh, that is a step change uh, it brings along with 5g which is uh, i think similar to quantum computing is going to break out the performance parameter of our devices and create that kind of bandwidth so that the devices become a lot more intelligent and a lot more uh, lot more faster right then you know there are new trends in uh, machine learning you talk about federated learning and you know some of it is already implemented but i think the larger portion will come in so the way i see it is uh, with all of these uh, trends and uh, changes it does seem chaotic but i do think you know there is a meeting point of all of it uh, sometime in future and uh, that's where you know the technologies and the trends that are here to stay will become more and more of a enhanced base of everything we do and then the new things uh, you know come into uh, enrich us further so for us uh, you know we are a learning organization we are learning from our customers or partners like altair and at times uh, we are hand holding them and taking them to you know their destination other times they are hand holding us so it's all about collaboration at the end of the end of the day right so feel happy about this space it's good to be here in a lot of transformation a lot of moving pieces and it's the ambiguity you know that excites me the most what a mission statement i love it niraj great way to conclude the show it's all about collaboration lots of brilliant insights in this session really delighted to have you niraj will include some links to the things you've mentioned in the show notes and um hopefully we'll get to have you on the show again in the future to hear what happens in 2 years time Yes, thank you and all the best to you and all your family. It's great to have uh, on the show with you, Sean. Thanks for watching. Now next up on alter.com/futuresays will be Jim Scappa, founder, chairman and CEO of Alter. He'll be closing the series by offering his unique perspectives on the many debates and discussions we've had. Hope to see you there.